0: Lovers, peacemakers peace builders welcome to peace mindedly i am sara jamshidi and we are doing another episode with another amazing author for for peace mindedly today we are talking about parenting with an accent how immigrants honor their heritage navigate setbacks and chart new paths for their children by masha rumer if you are like me or like our authors, although I have to confess that I believe our authors, at least to my ear, do not speak uh, uh, the the language, English language, with too much accent, unlike myself. But if you are like us, you want you want your kids to learn about your language and your tongue. So then uh, you can use the language as a vehicle to transport culture, traditions, and the values that is really dear to you within your own, within your own culture, the culture that you've grown up. As I was reading the book, and and I learned that our author really wants to wants her kids to learn more about Russia, and about Russian culture, everything about Russia. Although I must say that there is uh, so much going on. I mean, we are bombarded by the news about Russian invasion of Ukraine. Our guest also has uh, foots, uh, footsteps uh, within Ukraine, uh, lots of of russia and what's happening in the ukraine and nevertheless all of us know that russia did not created by putin and it's not going to be dis- disappeared after putin is gone so this is an ancient country with ancient history ancient culture and it's going to survive and uh, and move on as many of the other uh, other cultures and other countries russia is not the only culture uh, masha talks about they are iranian culture culture, Korean culture, Chinese culture, Indian culture, many other culture that she touches in, in her book. Masha Rumor is an award-winning journalist and freelance writer. Her work has appeared on New York Times, The Washington Post, Quartz, The Moscow, um, Moscow Time again my accent, Moscow Time and many other publications. In this book, Parenting with an Accent, Masha shares many ways immigrants honor their heritage and identities. She talks and interviewed with more than 60 people, some of them experts but mostly parents, uh, to figure out how she can can help herself to reconnect with her kids, with her children, and connect them to this beautiful Russian culture. I am bringing Masha to our screen. Hello, Masha. Hi,
1: Sarah. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast,
0: Peace Mindedly. It's an honor to speak to you. Absolutely. It's an honor to have you. Masha, what would you like, love your kids to learn about Russian culture? It's it's
1: it's really has changed a lot in the past three months. Uh, obviously, it's impossible to not talk about the Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, so my family is actually, uh, it's part Ukrainian. Half of my family has lived in Ukraine for generations. I was born in Russia. Uh, my relatives now, many of them are were born in Ukraine too. And actually some even had to evacuate and flee Ukraine Um when the invasion began so they had to run away with their family and their and their child so it's it's and my family who currently that currently lives in Russia is actually some of them have been arrested and, and jailed for the protest so that I mean I, I wanted to just put it out there because it's such a tremendous traumatic and uh, difficult time um, I'm hoping that the war will end soon and Ukraine starts to rebuild herself as soon as possible. Um, but um, my what I what I would really like my kids to take away from my culture is obviously not this. Um, although we talk about the war very openly since it began, um, and they've been participating in fundraising, which I'll mention later. Um, I'd like them to know the language of my ancestors um, and to be able to speak it. I'd like them to respect the family and the elders, I'd like them to know the food that's, you know, both Ukrainian and Russian um, that I grew up with, and to feel connected to so many people that came before them that they've never even met before, whether they live in Belarus or Ukraine or Russia right now, and hopefully in more peaceful times, they can get to do that.
0: Yes, hopefully more peaceful times. Marsha, do you think that they can learn any of this without learning Russian language?
1: You know, it's really hard. That's a question I ask myself in the book when I uh, set out to write it. Of course, it's possible to um, understand the culture without necessarily understanding the language, but you only get to know so little. Because to truly connect with the people and to understand how they think and to read the literature, um, the language is really imperative. Um, Although I realize that so many of us as parents who have immigrated to this country struggle with passing the language on to our kids and some of us are lucky or have the support that you know our kids are growing up bilingual or trilingual which is amazing but it's actually very challenging um particularly the reading and the writing aspect so i just want to make sure to be inclusive and say that yes language is very important for cultural understanding but um it's language,
0: and in my opinion, food. So yeah. my grandma uh, emigrated from Russia to Azerbaijan in Iran, and oh, wow. then it, it it was during the communism and Bolsheviks, and uh, they, she used to make very delicious foods, and um, uh, soups like borscht, or um, or a, it was a special kind of um, uh, Perashka, of course Perashka is very famous but it was a special I, I I'm not sure if I'm even pronouncing it right it, 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 she she called it Hingar or Khingar. And then it was a bit like a dumpling, a Russian dumpling, and it was absolutely delicious. I mean, from the start to the end, um, they're very labor, time consuming, but at the end, very delicious food. So what is your favorite dish in Russia and what is your favorite dish in, in Ukraine and how do you say them in Russian?
1: Well, that first of all, I didn't realize that that's your background, um, Sarah, that's great. Um, my favorite dish, well, actually right now I have borscht on, on the stove cooking. It's a recipe from my grandmother <laughs> who um, I usually make tons of it. In fact, I have a really huge pot that I was thinking of getting a bigger pot because when I make it, I tend to either invite people, tricky with the pandemic, or share it uh, with others or just save it for our family. It's a recipe from my grandmother, who was born in Vinnytsia, Ukraine, and actually had to leave her country uh, during World War II when she was a teenager because of the, um, you know, the German army, the Nazi army that was coming, and um, part of my family was unfortunately killed um, during during that war. Um, so that's that's my my kids love it. Beets for some of the first foods that they started eating as babies, um, and it's hard to say what. There's so many others. I like to make rye bread that I grew up with. I've learned to make it um, also during the pandemic. My grandmother also taught me how to make uh, piroshki, which are, like you said, the, the intensive kind of dumplings that you 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 know that you bake. But also there's a version called pilmeni or vareniki, which is Ukrainian. That just depends on the shape and the filling. I tend to just buy them. I don't have the time to make them. But food is incredibly important. Tea drinking, it's, it's very important for my family as well.
0: Yes, uh, what is the beat test? Chapter oh, three.
1: Oh my goodness! Since we're the, talking
0: about beats. <laughs> the beat
1: test, um, that so. Beat test is the name of one of my chapters. In fact, you probably it's hard to believe, but it's it's a chapter about dating and relationships. <laughs> um In the chapter, in the book itself, describes my own journey as an immigrant and as a parent in America, having come here. When I was thirteen, as a refugee from the former Soviet Union, um, and when I, you know, when I became when I started dating, I was um, kind of trying to figure out, you know, who who would I get along with. And one of the things that I did is unintentionally is for me, for me, food was really important. So I would invite at some point people to try the food that I grew up with. Um, and uh, sometimes people kind of made fun of it, and I uh, <laughs> found that a little bit offensive. I mean, obviously, you don't want someone making but fun they of your had culture. To
0: pass test? Did
1: not pass. No, fail. <laughs> but it's, it's not just about the food, right? Because there are many things that we find strange and, you know, maybe about other cultures. I still cannot eat the peanut butter jelly sandwich. My husband thinks it's a meal. But I you not. did,
0: you did with your kid at some point when he was, with, <laughs> she, she was, he, is it, I'm sorry, but she was refusing to eat yeah. the dinner and then wanted to, to eat peanut butter jelly and
1: you joined her. I did. It's actually, it's, I'm slowly warming up to it. I'm not, yeah, but but it, it took me a while. I think usually I grew up in a culture where soup is like a soup can cure any ill. It's almost like a medicine. So it has to be hot. You have to serve food as a first course. I mean, the soup and then everything else. But like a sandwich is something you eat, right? As I grew up in Eastern Europe, like when you're going like hiking, maybe, or when you're doing some manual labor outside and you can't get some hot food. Um, mm-hmm. So that to me took some time getting used to. But going back to the beet test, food mm-hmm. is very important in my culture because um, people in the Soviet Union uh, were growing up uh, with lots of scarcity. Um, my family growing up in Ukraine went through a you know, famine called Holodomor in the 1930s when Stalin basically starved millions of Ukrainians. Unfortunately, millions perished uh, by taking away their grain. So my family's lived through that. Um, then obviously there was World War II. Um, I had family that lived in Leningrad during the siege, where you just had a few ounces of bread per day, and also because the the city was surrounded uh, by the Nazis and all the food supplies were cut off. And later, even growing up, I remember food was so cherished because that we didn't really have a lot of it. We saw we had this cookbook that had these scrumptious images, drawings of recipes, but you couldn't buy those things at the store. Um, So we had a lot of, you know, beets, potatoes, onions, uh, bread that we used, um, and we had to ration it and sometimes even have coupons to make sure that we had enough. Um, So to me, this ability to have respect for the food and the work that goes into it and the innovativeness is really important. So the beet test kind of somewhat jokingly goes through that, how people made fun of it. And eventually I took my husband to a Russian restaurant in New York and Manhattan and then I'm not going to give away too much but but we are married in fact today's our anniversary so (laughs) needless to say He
0: passed the test. <laughs> he passed the test. Yes. <laughs> amazing! Congratulations for your anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. That's amazing. So, but yes, I know that he passed the test, and uh, and his response to uh, was very shocking to you. And of course, he passed the test. I'm I'm not going to give out the details because it's a very delicious, uh, delicious chapter. Chapter second. Chapter two here's here's my question so at least um i would say that uh I, I speak uh, English with an accent, and now I am in this kind of more confident capacity to laugh at my accent. Or when we, I am in a group, I say that, "Oh, you didn't understand this? Ho ho ho!" So I'm, I'm just uh, repeating this same sentence. Or my daughter comes to me and corrects me for the for the wrong pronunciations, and I'm 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 okay with that. But at the end, I tell their I tell her, sweetheart, at least I speak another three languages and you don't but uh, you, right. she does she does she does she she speaks um, Farsi but she speaks Farsi very fluently but only w- one more language but here's my my take what would you believe or would you think at this it's my impression that after George Floyd and after the murder the United States not entirely but has become more cautious about their attitude towards um, others, towards other people we have lots of diversity inclusion department had opened up in many agencies many government capacities in many companies i'm not i'm I'm not going to go into detail to explain whether or not this is really effective or for just a marketing piece but but my 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 impression is that Lately, at least within the last uh, one two year, I see some changes towards people's accent of more accepting. I'm just I'm just curious. Oh, so I I
1: really love this question, Sarah, and and, and there's obviously so, so much to say and to talk about here. Um, I'd like to think yes, uh, there's conscious change on behalf of you know companies, you know organizations, and just the way. The people's mentality to be more open um and not to have this you know the mentality that tends to be more you know white protestant uh kind of middle class mentality that's been um i would say the norm for uh when we talk about assimilation or culturation since you know since people started coming to the united states even you know we have even in the 18th century, you know, Benjamin Franklin was railing against the Germans because they had, you know, they looked different to them, and they, they spoke a different language and had different customs. He said they were bringing their worst uh, people. So this kind of mentality of um, cautiousness and some discrimination against difference, is, is including towards immigrants, has been part of American history. But at the same time, there there has been a change, a positive change. I'd like to think people are making conscious effort um, to be more open. Um, I have an accent too, and certainly, when I moved here, I had some backlash against me, and my family experienced that too. And um, I for wa- for a while even hid that I was an immigrant and tried to hide that I speak another language. Um, But then eventually I kind of took ownership of it. Yes, I have an accent. (laughs) Yes, I'm from somewhere else. Um, And it's something that I'm proud of. And even writing this book made me more proud.
0: Yes, what I really like about the book and how you are explaining uh, all of those issues is its um, research and its uh, background about what's been said. And then there is a story about the information or story, personal story of people that you are talking with. So I wonder which one of the stories that you really, really enjoyed? Oh, it is so hard to answer because, as you mentioned, I spoke to
1: more than 60 people for this book. Uh, most of them are immigrants. Most of them are parents. although not all are parents. And to be honest, I treated every interview as almost like a child. I coddled it. I've listened and reviewed my notes over and over. I wanted to make sure that the name appears the way they wanted to appear, because some of the names have been changed uh, for to protect the privacy of the person. And it says so in the very beginning of the book, um, but not all names. It, it all depends on what the person chose. I, I really just, in, so, I mean, so, so many. Um, for example, one story that really resonated with me was um, a girl who came from Iraq, uh, she is of a Chaldean faith, uh, so she's Christian. And she described to me how she settled with her family in outside um, of Detroit, which is a home to a large Chaldean population. And she experienced the bullying um, when she came. She remembers even being confronted at a supermarket with her mom for speaking Arabic. The woman was angry. I think it was just one of the examples. Like, why are you saying this? Why are you speaking this language? We're in America now. So why don't you just shape up and speak English? Um, And it's not that they didn't speak English. I mean, her mom maybe didn't, but her father did. And they made a really conscious effort to speak the languages to their children because that's what made them fluent. So that was incredibly heart-wrenching. I've spoken to a man who was from Mexico, married to a white American woman in Utah who works as a nurse. And he described some of the discrimination he's experienced, except he didn't want to really talk about it. He'd start talking about it and then just say, oh, but it happens to everybody. Oh, but it's not a big deal. Or, oh, it's okay. You know, this tendency we have to to, of kind of not wanting to make a splash, not wanting to recognize those complex experiences and feelings. But his wife would then jump in and say, well, actually, no, this was a problem. And this is exactly what happened.
0: Yes, I I remember Amira, then yeah. that how her dad really made a very conscious choice of only speaking Arabic at home, yeah. and then later she wanted her kids to be fluent in both languages, and then not just carry many of the stereotypes uh, or many of the behaviors that uh, is um, uh, predominant within the culture. So, uh, can you tell me about Amira? What happened to her?
1: yes so Amira was uh, the the woman that I mentioned who lived who who came from Iraq when she was um, oh toddler. this is the same this tablet. is the same person uh-huh, yes uh-huh. so uh-huh. she she says she she honors her I mean she honors her family she is a big part of the community um and Amira is not her real name I'd use that for to protect her identity and that's what she asked me to do obviously when she grew up she realized that she you know, she identified the feminist ideals. Um, she considered herself a feminist and a liberal. There came a time, as happens, I think, for a lot of parents of young kids that we ha- she had to find a childcare for her daughters. And that's when she had the option of, you know, choosing a daycare near home, an American daycare, uh, because Possibly, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes to find that availability or even access to child care from our culture. Or she could leave her kids in the care of her parents, who at that point were no longer working and who said, we can watch your kids, which which is great, right? It's, you know, you transmit the culture that way, you don't know, you trust them, you know what they're going to do. Um, it's free, which is also nice. Um, and you just, this is, the kids stay with the family. A lot of, um, you know, Kids grow up like grandparents have been caretakers for generations, for for millennia, for so many families around the world. But she um, hesitated because she did not appreciate or approve of some of the practices that she saw in her community where she felt women were not, you know, were being demeaned. Uh, She was not allowed to date or wear makeup when she was younger, but the young men could do that. And if they were dating, that was considered fine. But for a girl, it was con- a huge taboo. And she did not like eating last at the table, after the men. Um, those types of examples. And she explains this to her daughters. But she decided, you know, I'm going to send them to preschool. That's American instead of um, having the, the the her parents watch the kids and pass those values to her. So as a result, she... You know, she's raising them with her values and beliefs, very progressive. But at the same time, she is, you know, kind of heartbroken or at least upset that they're not as fluent as she would, would have wished they were in, in Arabic. And yes.
0: Very good. You are watching and listening to Peace Mindedly, a podcast featuring peaceful bridge makers. For this hour, we are talking with Masha Rumer, author of Parenting with an Accent. To listen to this show and to watch the show and to learn about this show and our conversation with Masha, go to goldtoon.com. And this is the season five of Peace Mindedly that we are putting together uh, the programs and episodes for you to listen. In her book, Masha writes, there is no formula for raising immigrant kids or for rebuilding a home from scratch in the new lands. Arriving to California with her family as a teenager from the uh, former Soviet Union. It was during the early 1990s. She digs in, in the book, she digs in and tells the stories of immigrant parents who make choices to raise their children in the United States and to teach the language, uh, the, their, their native language to their kids. There is a story in the in the book, I think it's um, chapter 10 or 11, that um, I, I, um, uh, they, they were speaking Amhari or something like that. I can't exactly remember the detail, but teacher Odase, decided to take charge of the school in, in in his mosque or his church and teach the kids their native language. What is this story? Um, yes. So I traveled
1: to I, I traveled to a number of places to write the book because the best way I feel is to convey the, the sense of the place and the people is just by actually going there and describing it and experiencing it. Um, so I went to a an Amharic church, um, Ethiopian church, oh, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm Amharic language, Ethiopian church um, right outside of New York City. And I got to the opportunity to attend an Amharic class for kids um, with the teacher there. So the teacher was actually a parent, a volunteer. Um, and they used to have a teacher for the community to teach Amharic to the kids. But the teacher left and there was nobody, nobody there. But this man had three young kids. Maybe at the time he only had two, um, but he has three now. And he drove a cab during, you know, during the day in in the city in New York. Um, And he was really struggling with teaching the language to the kids because he knew, just like, you know, a lot of us as immigrants finding out that it's very hard to transmit the language. Um, Even if we speak it at home, you know, especially if just one parent speaks it at home. Um, So he one time went to an Egyptian Coptic church to a meeting or to to one of the classes. And he said, wow, this is amazing. They have this whole program for kids to learn the language. Um, And I really want to do the same thing at my church. So he got together with the church elders. They had a meeting. They discussed building starting a new teaching teaching program on sunday so every sunday after services and after lunch they go and um, they have kids at different levels at different ages and they teach the volunteers teach the kids um, on heart not just you know playing you know songs but also to teach and teach them to read and write which is
0: serious teaching
1: yeah it's amazing and i spoke i got to speak to him and attend the class and um, obviously he struggles because during the class some, some of the girls would start speaking in English and then another teacher that was my contact came in um, Zuditu who wrote grammar books in Amharic she would say you know in Amharic stop speaking English you need to respect the teacher speak Amharic only and stop whispering and the girls would be like oh sorry okay and they would start (laughs) speaking Amharic.
0: Yes, I could relate to many of the points, especially I was lis- listening to the audiobook with my daughter. We were coming back from her swim class, and then it was exactly the part that absolutely applied to uh, Rana and me. <laughs> I usually try to um, speak with her in Farsi, and she always replies in English. <laughs> and it That's was right. Uh, and it, it was very interesting. It was we were listening to a part. I think it was chapter nine that we were listening to, that, and it was exactly this this phenomenon the that uh, mm-hmm. the, the 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 mom was speaking with the kid in their own language. I think it was Korean, and then the kid was yes. uh, answering in in English. So right. it was it was so delicious. In chapter eight, you are offering some solutions. So can you tell me about the solutions you are offering?
1: Um, yes. So the, the book, is, as you mentioned, is, is not just about language, but language is a huge part of transmitting your culture. And I spoke to, I read a lot of, um, you know, research and books about bilingualism, and I um, interviewed some bilingualism experts or um, trilingual speech therapists and uh, researchers in psychology, including including actually the professor up in Canada who came up with the with the idea or with the research that showed that kids who are bilingual have better ability to focus and multitask, and the fact that older bilingual adults can stave off dementia and Alzheimer's for several years um, if they are bilingual. So I mean the tips are it's very easy to speak of the tips, it's it's about implementing them. The most important thing, of course. The most important thing is um, need to create the need for the child to speak that language for example if they speak just to us they know we will understand english and they'll be like okay why should i try speaking you know whatever language if if i can get what i need just in english the other thing that's really important in addition to need is exposure um being exposed to it so just occasionally sp- for a few minutes speaking that language is not enough um, the child has to be exposed to it in the home preferably outside of the home and the community as well uh, which i know is hard especially when we sometimes are the only purveyors of that language and there's nobody else to speak it
0: right uh to now, masha yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna let our audience to basically learn about the other solutions themselves yeah. by buying the book Great. That? it's all in there <laughs> so if you really want to learn about what are the solutions that masha it's a research very well done research so if you want to learn about more solutions you need to buy the book parenting with an accent what are you leaving out of the script that you wish you could include and you are not including um
1: well it was very hard to i had hours and hours of research uh, interviews and obviously my own stories it was hard to find the right balance because i didn't want it to be just about me um a lot of it was very painful to write about you know my experiences with discrimination well, which
0: gave me some examples at least well examples. sure yeah I, I mean there was i mean i
1: i grew up you know my family has experienced hostility for many generations for being Jewish in the former Soviet Union. So, you know, denied work. I've, you know, called names like beaten yes, uh, a lot of I, times. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so it's, uh, that was tough. Um, also, you know, there's obviously it was, I, I described some of my experiences as a teenager adjusting to the country um, and really missing the the only place i called home until i was 13 so that adjustment was fairly tricky for me i I described it a little bit and from my conversations it seems like many people you know especially teenagers as research actually shows have a hard time um adapting you know obviously harder than kids and sometimes even emotionally harder than adults um and at the same time obviously the book came out right before russia invaded ukraine um i mean i don't know how i would have i can make any more clear the fact that
0: Um, i obviously don't support
1: the war in any way and it's it's just no no i mean for
0: me at least when i was reading the book uh i i really didn't make any connection yeah. between russia and russian culture and ukraine this is this is our way of at least in the media because we are so yeah. bombarded by too many information that um we are just swimming in misinformation but uh honestly for me at least uh sorry to interrupt you but for me was not was not russia was not Uh, Ukraine even, was uh, this uh, apparent struggle of uh, figuring out what to do to her beautiful culture and how she can teach this culture to her kids and then and then what she learned and uh, what are the common struggles common themes that uh, it was it was very teachable for me these these are the many many things that i i struggle myself what are the themes um what are the common common between all these struggles
1: so there were so many commonalities that i found that i wasn't really even expecting to find i feel like the book was a learning opportunity for me for me the most as i was writing it um and just to to give you an idea there are 20 pages of small print of footnotes at the end so um, i did quite a bit of uh, kind of geeking out on the research and sources um i found uh, several common threads so the people i spoke to are obviously all from different countries I think, what is it, like 16, 17 different languages other than English or almost 18. So there was a huge number of linguistic groups and, and the geographical areas that I tried to capture. Um, obviously, every immigration story is different, but I did find some commonalities. One is that all of us really want to transmit something from our culture. For many people, it's, you know, language. For some people, it's maybe honoring the family. For others, it's know the food or the the holidays or the festivals um but whatever that might be we often feel uneasy about our decisions and sometimes even plagued with guilt about not doing enough or you know depriving ourselves or our children of the the american way of life if we do that so it's always kind of a balancing act at least for some time but it's incredibly important for us to transmit some of it and it's very emotional the second thing is language transmitting language and teaching it to our kids is harder than I think most people realize um, and those of us those of us who are doing a good job or think they're doing a good job they're probably doing a great job so I think it's so important to recognize our successes and it's a work in progress but that tends to be another really difficult thing to to teach the language and make sure it sticks um, especially and it's all different for for everybody I've I've heard some discussions not in my book that oh my kid just like is absolutely fluent in all those languages and we had no trouble at all and okay that's great but that's not i would say that's probably not the majority um we, we as parents have to make really conscious effort to make that happen um and mm-hmm. the third thing is as immigrants we tend to carry a lot of um I don't want to use, use the word traumas um you know that we've inherited from our culture from wars from oppression that maybe our ancestors have experienced. Um, the fact that, that the act of leaving is very traumatic. It's it's like losing a loved one in a way, especially if we lived a certain lifestyle and are, you know, know a certain way of life and we've had to abandon that. And sometimes dealing with discrimination and adaptation and being an outsider, feeling like we don't fit in anywhere, that's also incredibly difficult. And a lot of those things are, we tend to not even think about, but they're with us. And I, I find that very healing to be able to discuss it and to process it and certainly even talking about it with people brought out a lot in them. I've had people follow up with me by email or by phone and add something else to their story or say how it's impacted them. Just the ability to talk
0: about it. Mm-hmm. Very good. I think I caught you off when you were talking about what you left out of the book.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, You know, maybe it's the material for my next book. Um, I think a lot of I I really wanted to talk more about my own childhood and the things I loved and my relatives, my family members, family stories. Um, And a lot of it was also, you know, the the trauma the growing up um, in times when, you know, the country was poor and controlled by central government. And, you know, there are a lot of things I don't like about, you know, bringing up children in a way that sometimes you know that's considered punishment is considered to be okay harsh punishment you know harsh discipline i think that's true for a lot of very traditional cultures um, so that's not something that um, i appreciate necessarily and that's i didn't go into it too much in my book but that's something i try to you know make different choices about as a parent here in america
0: mm-hmm. excellent very very good um is there what do you are you working in any project in next project next work you know right now i'm just working on essays which have been quite kind
1: of challenging but i do want i have some ideas a couple of ideas for books but they're they're still they're still crystallizing
0: What, what are the what are you working on right now essay you said yes a couple of essays and i keep i mean a lot
1: of them are also you know personal essays about my childhood there are some pieces about my family and Obviously about Ukraine um, and the war, um, so it's it's been really difficult to write during this time in particular because my family is affected. But another thing I've been working on that's not a book is my my daughter has been making. Um, I taught her how to make friendship bracelets, macrame bracelets. Here's one example. And the first thing she said is, "I want to make those to you know to to help Ukraine." And so she's been making them um, for for this Ukrainian nonprofit that works on the ground and she's been raising money for their cause. I've been kind of...
0: Excellent. So what is, uh, do, do you, do you, would you comfortable to, in, in telling me your, your, your kid's name, Leah? Well, Leah is the name in the book. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, But, if, but if it's if
1: actually, we... but it's actually my grandmother's name. I just ah, was okay. a way to honor my, my grandmother. So it's, I see. It's, it's not exactly, but Leah. Yeah. So she is, she's eight years old and um, yeah, we're, we're donating it to, this wonderful nonprofit that I know. I have friends of friends that they're involved in it, and they're called the Ukraine Trust Chain. So she's Ukraine already Ukraine Trust a... Chain. Trust Chain, yes. And they do amazing work on the ground for all volunteer run. Um yeah, she's raised $350 already, and we're working on some more bracelets. Um, excellent the Ukrainian flag colors. Uh-huh, <laughs> so that's that's uh-huh. kind of in lieu of the book for now. Just weaving weaving bracelets as a instead of stories. <laughs>
0: excellent excellent where can we find you and the book do you have any social media handles
1: yes yeah, so i'm on twitter at uh, masha dc which is spelled m-a-s-h-a-d-c as in washington dc even though i don't live there anymore um i have a website my first name there's my writing and some appearances that are coming up m-a-s-h-a-r-u-m-e-r um, that's, I think I'm also on Instagram that I started just a few months ago. Um, my first name and last name. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Very good. Very good. Excellent. Um, stay put with me. You are watching and listening to Peace Mindedly, a podcast featuring peaceful bridge makers. For this hour, we were talking with Masha Rumor, author of Parenting with an Accent, How Immigrants Honor Their Heritage, Na- Navigate Setbacks, and Chart New Paths for Their Children. There is, I mean, it's a long subtitle, but I liked the subtitle because really helped really helped me to imagine what I'm going to read in The book and then made my uh, heart warm because this is the kind of issues that I am dealing with myself as a mom. If you are an immigrant mom who really wants to pass on your heritage and uh, your culture to your kids, there are some very good uh, recommendations and to do things that you can do as well as a story. It's not a guidebook. Uh, to just give you in-depth in information about how to go about. At the end of every program, we, we ask our guests to talk about something meaningful, about peace, kindness, and compassion. And here I'm going to ask Masha to tell me something about peace, kindness, and compassion, whatever you would like to share.
1: Ah, peace. I think peace, kindness, and compassion um, is, starts at home. Um, we teach it to our kids Um, In a way, I would say it's even more important than language and cultural transmission is to teach them what's going on in the world and to, you know, understand hostility, understand it to the best ability, you know, bad treatment of people and of countries and to to stand up to it. So I think that starts at home and it's really important to pass that on to them and to be able to treat each individual. See the beauty in each individual and not to make blanket generalizations because they can lead to problems in society and, and wars as we're seeing and obviously i'm really hoping and praying that the war in ukraine um, stops as soon as possible and uh, people there can live in peace
0: inshallah as we say in arabic thank you very much for the conversation i, I appreciate parenting with an accent is the book by Marsha rumor thank you Marsha. Thank
1: you so much, Sarah. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
0: Absolutely. hafiz.